Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Join us every other Wednesday when we discuss all things dogs, from health and veterinary care to training and behavior science, as well as the ins and outs of Good Dog and how our platform can help you successfully run your breeding program. Follow us and join Good Dog's mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Good Dog Pod. I'm Dr. Michael Delgado, your host for this week, and we are here with special guest Dr. Fanny Lahoksky. She is currently a postdoctoral researcher at the MTA ELTE Lendulet Neurothology of Communication Research Group. That's a huge mouthful. And also the Iotovos Lorand University Department of Ethology. The most important thing you need to know is she's doing research in Budapest, Hungary. And we're so honored that you are speaking to us all the way from Hungary. Dr. Lachowski's work is part of a larger family of research projects in collaboration with Dr. Adam McClosey. He's one of the founders of the Family Dog Project. And in fact, we had other members of his team on the Good Dog Pod when we interviewed researchers from the Genius Dog Challenge last year. So I'm really excited to just continue our interviews of this related research. Dr. Lachowski's research explores dog sensitivities to the vocalizations of other dogs and other animals, such as cats and humans. She's also looked specifically at breed differences in howling behavior. I'm really excited to learn more about this. We invited Dr. Lahoksky onto the Good Dog Pod to talk about her recent publication, Genetic Distance from Wolves Affects Family Dogs' Reactions Toward Howls. This was recently published in the journal Communications Biology. Dr. Lahoksky, welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Hello, everyone, and thanks for the invitation. Great. So I'd like to start by learning a little bit more about the researcher that's joining us. So can you tell us a little bit about your personal path to studying dogs? Yes. Actually, the first time I met with ethology itself, this research field, I was amazed that, oh my God, it is just uh, combining my two favorite things, animals and behavior and exploring things. So it was quite at an early age when I decided, okay, I'm going to be an ethologist. And after a few years, I just got know that there is a department actually in Hungary, which is where they are investigating the behavior of dogs. And I'm a huge fan of dogs. So this is how I got here. Excellent. Yeah. And for our listeners, ethology is just the study of animal behavior. An ethologist is an animal behaviorist, kind of a fancier term for it, but that's basically what we're talking about. So let's dive into some of your research, specifically the recent publication about genetic distance from wolves affects family dogs' reactions toward howls. So let's start by talking about howling. I mean, I think we all know a howl when we hear one, but what makes a vocalization a howl? It's a really good question because sometimes people are thinking that when we are talking about howling, we refer to barking, Mm. but it's not the same vocalization. Actually, howling is a quite specific vocal type of the canine species. It is the best known in case of wolves, but of course, other canine species use this vocalization type. And its main function is to communicate with the conspecifics through big distances. So the acoustic structure of these halls are specified for this feature to have a quite low percentage of the sound to get degradated through distances. So these are elongated sounds, which are perfect for this function, actually. Okay, so meant to travel long distances... Do you do impersonations of dog howling? (laughs) Yes. 
<laughs> Actually, the whole idea of this research came from my personal experience. I'm owning a Siberian Husky. Oh, okay. And most of the people know that Huskies are big haulers. So they do it regularly in completely irrelevant situations. And the situation which led me to this idea was when we were in the company of different dogs and there came a siren and my husky started to howl. And it was really interesting to see how different the reaction of the other dogs around us. So there were some dogs which immediately joined my husky and started to hold, while others just looked at them and, oh my God, what are you doing? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Because why do dogs howl? I mean, you mentioned it's for long distance communication, but if they're howling in response to a siren, what do you think the function of that behavior is? Is it similar to why wolves howl? Wolves use it for different purposes, mm. like communicating with their pack mates mm. through big distances. It functions, serves for group cohesion signal and marking their localization in the territory or outside the territory. And it also has a function as a territory signal. So it signs to strange wolves that, okay, this is our territory, please go away or there is going to be some problem. But we know that dogs do not live in packs anymore or they live in packs. It does not have this strong uh, bond inside the pack between the animals. And also, they do not go for big distances, hopefully, <laughs> in good cases. So actually, howling mainly lost its main function, their original function in dogs. But we know that they can uh, use it in some situations, which is kind of similar to those which used by wolves, like uh, in separation, when the owner leaves the dog alone at home, uh, some of the dogs which are suffering by separation-related problems yeah. try to connect with the owner by howling. Yeah. So this is something which is similar to the original function. But the thing that you mentioned, that they are responding to sounds, well, it's a really mystical field of dog howling. We know nothing about this, but we would love to know more about dog howling. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine there must be something about the siren sound that maybe it's similar to dog howls in some way. Actually, the siren, yes, it's somehow similar to the howling. Okay. But there are different other sounds which elicit this behavior from some dogs, like some kind of music or musical instruments oh. or these squeaky toys. And these are not similar to howling in their acoustic structure. So it's really interesting what can be behind them, this behavior. Very cool. So your recently published study looked at how dogs of different breeds responded to the sounds of wolves howling. Why did you choose to do this study? We were really curious. Actually, there is no scientific information about dog howling. We know a lot about wolves, jackals, other canine species, but we know nothing about dog howling. So we wanted to start with an easy step. And after my experiences with the company dogs, we were mostly curious for the first time that are there any breed differences in their reactions when they are facing a wolf howling? We know that howling is a typical sound which elicits this behavior from the dogs. So this is why we use it. 
and this gave us the possibility to have a nice measure for the brief distances because from a study from 2017, we have a lot of genetic data about dog breeds, mm -hmm. how much they are related to each other and how close they are to the gray wolves. Nice. So this was the main idea that, okay, let's check how the genetic relatedness with wolves affects the dog's reactions to wolf howling. Okay, so maybe you can tell us a little bit about how you tested the dogs in the study. I'm assuming you didn't bring a wolf to <laughs> the lab. So yeah, just walk us through what a dog who participated in your study went through. We recruited dogs through social media. So the only requirement was the dog should show this behavior in any kind of situation. So if your dog has a siren or during sleeping or to different kind of situations, the dog can participate in our study because it was important because we want to know whether the reaction to the wolf howl is what we see in the behavior test and not that the dog is able or not able to howl. Okay. So this was really important. So the owners who thought that their dogs are showing this behavior in some kind of situations, they were invited to the Department of Ethology and they were tested in our behavior lab. We collected several wolf howls from different foreign researchers and we put together these sounds to a three-minute long stimuli. This contains solo holes when only one wolf mm. is holding and contained also a one-minute long chorus holding when a pack of wolves holds actually. The test was really simple. Actually, the owner and the dog was in the behavior lab. We played a sound from a hidden speaker and we looked for reactions like vocalizations, of course, this was the most important one, but we look for stress-related behaviors, attention-related behaviors, owner contact behaviors, so different type of things. And then we analyze the reactions and the data. Okay, well, tell us a little bit about what the dogs did when they heard the wolf howls. Okay, so <laughs> we saw various reactions from uh, stress to fear to frustration. Hmm. Some of the dogs howled. It was not too frequent, actually. Okay. Yeah. Only the 10 or 12 percentage of the dogs show this behavior, which is quite low. Okay. But we saw also some dogs uh, barking and whining. So we mm. have quite a wide range of behaviors in this behavior study. Okay. And were there breed differences? Like, what do you think we can conclude from what you found during your study? What we hypothesized? was actually what happened. So we hypothesized that dogs which are genetically closer to wolves will howl more mm. than breeds which are genetically farther from them. And this was what we found. But there was an extra thing, what we didn't really suspected. It was that this breed difference appeared only among dogs which were I won't say older, but I say older than five years. Mm, okay. So what we found is that dogs which are younger than five years, they reacted similarly, independently from their breed. Okay. But when we looked for dogs which are older than five years, we found this nice difference between ancient and modern breeds. Actually, that Asian breeds howled more and also showed more stress-related behaviors. 
Okay. Than the mulberry breeds. Okay. So by ancient breed, you mean more closely related to wolves genetically? Yes. Okay, great. Yes. And the conclusions from this is that it seems that Asian breeds may better in the extracting the information from this Asian communication form, like they are more understanding the meaning of a wolf howling. While for the modern breeds, it is rather just disturbing sound. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> yes, okay. actually, yes. Okay, yeah, instead of, I really want to try to howl, but I don't know if that's a good idea. <laughs> okay, well, so that's really cool. So the conclusion is these dogs that are more closely related to wolves are more likely to respond to wolf howls by howling themselves. All right, everyone, you are listening to the Good Dog Pod. We'll be right back. Did you know that pet scams accounted for about 18% of online shopping frauds this past year, costing consumers more than $2 million? Good Dog is here to change that. Payment on Good Dog is the secure payment platform that breeders and buyers deserve. Unlike other options, Payment on Good Dog is built to give breeders and buyers peace of mind by providing protection and support every step of the way. Exclusively available to members of our Good Breeder community, Payment on Good Dog is completely free for breeders to use. Buyers can also use Payment on Good Dog completely for free or choose to pay a small optional fee to access additional benefits. We guarantee your payment against chargebacks, cancellations, and fraud, all while providing a seamless and easy payment experience from start to finish. With protected payments, easy invoicing, payment verification, and centralized records. So you can focus on what matters most, connecting with amazing good dog applicants and getting your puppies off to their new homes. Get started today by applying to join our good breeder community at gooddog.com slash join. You've also looked at some other dog responses to different sounds. So not just howling, but you also studied how dogs respond to separation calls, which is a different kind of sound. It occurs across many species, right? So these are all sounds that an infant or young animal might make if their caretaker is gone. So babies cry, kittens meow, dogs whimper, and so on. So tell us a little bit about these sounds and why animals respond to them. Okay, these sounds have a really specific feature. It is that regardless that these are different type of vocalizations, as you mentioned, crying, meowing, barking, whining, other things. They share a really similar acoustic structure. Mm. And this makes it possible for the individuals to react properly to the sounds, to the separation cries, even of another species. And this was what Ingle and her colleagues found when they investigated their mothers. Yeah, I love that study. Yes, me too. And actually what they found is that independently from the species, the deer mothers responded as strongly to different species sound as to their own species infant cries. But the most important factor was the fundamental frequency of the sound. Okay. So after that, we were really curious because, okay, we have the dog. It has a quite complex social environment. They are meeting with several other domestic and non-domestic species. And we were curious whether they are also showing this type of sensitivity to other species separation cries, or they are more specific in this sense and they are reacting more stronger to their own species. 
And in the other hand, due to their, their special relationship with humans, mm. we were curious whether they are showing stronger response to human baby crying right. than to other species, infant cries. And what we found, it was uh, really interesting. So it seems that when we are comparing dogs' reactions to their own species, infant cries and other species, there, it seems that their strength of the reaction is kind of decreasing with the genetic relatedness with the species. Okay. So we tested them with puppy, dog puppy cries, kitten cries, human baby cries, and also artificial ones. And what we found that the strongest reaction appears to the dog puppy cries, and the weakest reaction appears to the human baby cries. Oh, interesting. I mean, we certainly think of dogs as like running to help humans. So they hear a baby crying, must see what's going on. But no, they're not as interested as if puppies are crying. Yes, actually, this is what happened. And we also checked whether the experience with human babies affect the dog's reactions. Oh. And what we found in this sense that dogs which has experience with a human baby cries, they are habituating to the sound with some repetitions, but the dogs which are inexperienced with human babies, they are not. Oh, interesting. So the reaction was as strong as at the beginning. Do you think that it's stressful for dogs to hear a baby crying at first? Did they seem stressed or just, I must do something to help that person? <laughs> it's a really good question. And we found signs of stress only when they listen to the dog puppy cries, okay. but not when they listen to the other species infant cries, okay. which is quite interesting, I think. Was there any effect of dogs who had actually had puppies? Were they more likely to respond to puppy cries? So one would suspect that, of course, but we found that no, actually not. Okay. We tested former mothers and dogs which are inexperienced with puppies, and their reaction was quite similar to each other. Okay, so no effect of being a former parent <laughs> if you're a dog. Yes, but if we have tested uh, actual mothers, mm -hmm. so which have a litter at the time of the testing, I'm sure that it could have an effect. Sure, that makes sense. Okay, well, what do you think your studies tell us about dogs and their mode of communication, whether it's with other dogs or with humans? What's the big picture takeaway from your work? I know that's a tough question to throw at a scientist. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the main conclusion is that the breed affects the vocal communication of the dog mm -hmm. more than one would suspect. And the other thing is that the interspecific, so communication between different species, mm -hmm. is also appearing in dogs, but it is not as important as in case of white animals like in deer. So it seems that the reproductive system of the dogs are quite different than we suspected before. So there is a lot of things to investigate in the future. Well, that leads me into my next question, which is what's next for your research? Okay, it's a really good question. <laughs> we really want to dig deeper in the dog howling. Mm -hmm. So we have several further questions. We have a lot of collected data on different questions. So we just need to write up the papers from this. Nice. We are really curious about which acoustic features are important in eliciting the howling behavior and other individual features which are potentially affecting the howling of dogs. So like some personality traits. Mm -hmm. 
But yeah, also we know almost nothing scientifically about the dog's reproductive system. And it would be really nice to go further with this separation topic too. Yeah. Do you know, do most people find howling difficult to live with? Would you say it's a problem behavior for some dog owners? It can be. Yeah. I also experienced when I adopted my dog that she was really uncomfortable in this new environment she was put in. Mm. And I also faced the problem of separation-related anxiety. And living in a city, living in uh, blockhouses where people are just living right next to each other. Mm -hmm. And we know how loud is the howling. So it can be really problematic when a dog suffering from this problem, because in this case, the neighbors are also suffering from this problem. Yeah, I mean, I can hear when I walk around my neighborhood, sometimes I can hear dogs howling and they're clearly inside a house somewhere. But like you said, long distance communication, very effective. Yes, it is. Yeah, it is. Okay. So this howling study may have people to face that. Yes, we have to take care of the instincts of our dogs and have to be able to handle these type of things. Yeah. So I like to end on a fun note. So my question for you is if you could be any breed of dog, which would you choose? And now I'm curious if it has anything to do with howling. <laughs> Uh, yes, I'm a huge, huge fan of sled dogs. Nice. This is why I'm having a husky, because their behavior is so ancient and so wolf-like, and they are so livable, and they are so tough. And yes, I really like the breed. Yeah. So yeah, I would say that. And they are funny. <laughs> Seriously. So living with a husky is, is really joyful. And what's your dog's name? Her name is Bijou, like Juari. Bijou. Very cute. Very cute. Well, Dr. Lahoksky, thank you so much for being here with us today. It was a pleasure to interview you and your research is so cool. I can't wait to see what you do next. And maybe we'll have you on again in the future to talk about whatever your next project may be. It would be a pleasure. Okay. Can you do a howl for me? A howl for you? Of course. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for the opportunity. Welcome to today's mailbag. We have a question from Nancy, which is, how can I deal with a puppy who bites for fun? And we thought the best person to answer this question would be our own puppy coach, Abby. So, Abby, can you tell us what should someone do if they have a puppy who bites for fun? I would be happy to. I see this happen sometimes whenever puppies are still figuring out in their life that putting teeth on people is not necessarily something that we find very desirable, although it is a pretty normal developmentally appropriate behavior for young dogs. It's not very pleasant, especially whenever puppies have those razor sharp teeth. So I like to tackle this from a couple of different angles. First off, I like to make sure that I have my house set up in a way that I can remove myself from the situation or I can put a barrier between myself and my puppy if my puppy is overstimulated, if they're biting on me, and if I cannot get hold of the situation. And it's not necessarily a training moment. So that may look like putting baby gates up in some doorway thresholds. It may look like having a really nice X-pen set up for your puppy. So they have a nice fenced off playpen area where they can go if they're being too much and you just need to move about the rest of your routine without them latching onto your ankles. (laughs) (laughs) And so 
once I've made sure that I have those management steps in place as I need them, I can use those throughout my routine whenever it's not necessarily a proactive training moment and I'm behaving more reactively. The puppy's already biting me and I just need to remove myself and remove my puppy's access to continue rehearsing that behavior on me. So the next thing that I'll do more on the proactive training side is I like to teach puppies a very reliable drop cue. And this can also be used for people as well. So if you have a puppy that likes to grab onto feet, grab onto hands, grab onto your clothes, if you have a previously trained drop cue, you can use that in the moment and ask your puppy to release whatever they have in their mouth. Usually it's you. (laughs) And then you can reward them for that. So. I practice this a lot with toys, especially something that my puppy likes to pick up and have in their mouth. I'll give them a toy. I'll give them a chew, something that they really like. Once they take it in their mouth, I'm going to tell them drop, and then I'm going to take a high-value treat. So think chicken, little pieces of hot dog, commercially made training treats, and I will stick that right in front of my puppy's nose. And they're going to smell that treat, and they're going to say, ooh, that smells tasty. They're going to release the object in their mouth to take the treat. So I can mark yes there. And I can tell them they're so wonderful. They're so great. And I can feed them several treats. So it's very heavily reinforcing for them. Whenever they hear drop, they know that a treat is coming afterwards. So they're going to start anticipating that. And as soon as they start to hear that word after you've repeated this several times, your puppy is going to be able to release whatever is in their mouth on cue without you having to show them the treat. So once I have that skill, Under my puppy's belt, I can use that if they're trying to bite on me in a situation whenever I really need to ask them to stop. And once they have released me, they've released my clothes, I've rewarded them for doing so, for making that great choice with a lot of praise, a lot of petting or treats. I'll keep treat jars around my house as well so that I have one nearby that I can grab. I will then redirect my puppy onto something else. So I'll give them something appropriate they can chew on, or I will engage them in a game of play with toys if it's kind of an energetic moment and they're looking for interaction from me. I'll play with them in a more appropriate way. Or if it's not necessarily a playtime moment, that's whenever I would use those management strategies again. So I've asked them to release, I've rewarded them, and then I can now either pick them up and place them in a management setup, or I can remove myself from the situation. I love that. I never really thought about using the drop cue for a hand. I just always think of it for toys or something you don't want them to pick up. It's very easy to generalize. That's really cool. (laughs) And then given that this is a normal puppy behavior, as far as prevention, would you just say more chew toys, more playtime, keep them tired? Yes. So I like to make sure if I am seeing an increase in mouthy behavior from my puppies, they are just really having a hard time making good decisions whenever it comes to chewing on appropriate items. They're acting really overstimulated really frequently, and they're really determined to be biting on me all the time. That to me is kind of a flag that my puppy needs a little bit more to do throughout their day. So that may look like training sessions. Training sessions and learning something new, especially with young puppies, is actually very, very tiring. So you can spend five or 10 minutes learning a new skill and they're ready for a nap. Or I'll make sure that my puppies had enough playtime or that they're getting some mental stimulation throughout their day. And this may look like giving them edible chews like bully sticks or Himalayan yak chews or letting them work on some food puzzles, going out to maybe a new park if they've had enough vaccines that they can go out going out to a new park, walking around on a long line and just letting them take their world in and sniff every blade of grass that they want to sniff. 
all of those things are very enriching for puppies. And a well-exercised, well-enriched puppy is going to be a lot less mouthy because they have their needs met. So usually that's a flag to me if I'm seeing it in excess that they may need a little bit more in their day-to-day routine as well. Okay, great. And I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this question, but just to solidify for our listeners, we don't recommend any type of punishment or pushing the puppy away or anything like that when they bite. I do not. First of all is because this is a developmentally appropriate behavior, like I said earlier. So this is not necessarily something that your puppy is doing because they're being disobedient or because they're trying to dominate you or anything that you may have heard somewhere on the internet. (laughs) So I like to approach it with a little bit of understanding. I know it's very difficult whenever you're living with the puppy 24-7 and you're kind of having to deal with this in your face all day long, but approaching it with a little more compassion and kind of viewing them as they are, because they are truly infants. And so in the same way that human infants are wanting to put everything in their mouth, and they're wanting Mm. to teeth, and they're wanting to cry and do all of those things that can be a little bit frustrating to deal with. It's the same thing with puppies. And it's one of those things that if we are proactive about it, we manage it well, it will get better with time. So it will get better as they age. And it's something that I don't necessarily see as a training problem. It's more a development problem. And so if we do reach for punishment or scolding or bopping puppies on the nose or putting them on their backs or any of those things that you may hear out there on the internet, you can potentially damage your puppy's relationship to you. And that can be something that's very difficult to repair, especially while they're in that early socialization window whenever they're young. Um, And we need to make sure that they are having a lot of really positive experiences with the people around them, with new situations. And we just need to make sure that we're not setting the stage for a bad relationship early on. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for sharing your puppy expertise. And hopefully that has helped a lot of our listeners dealing with those mouthy little puppies. It will get better. And like it or not, it is a normal puppy behavior. We have to manage it. So great. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Hang in there. Excellent. Thank you, Abby. Thank you for listening to the good dog pod. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. So be sure to subscribe to the good dog pod on your favorite podcast platform. 